Welcome everybody to our Revenue Maverick podcast. Um, we are lucky to have uh, James Mason today with us. And so welcome to the program, James. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm Matt Durizzani. I'm your host and I am a Revenue Maverick and a Revenue Maverick advisor. And so for the audience today, we'd love to introduce you to, to James. He is the sales operations manager at Scandit, which is a company based in the UK. James brings over a decade of experience in operations with key focus in sales strategy, channel, processes, and systems. And he worked for several companies in the UK and through them, he has had the chance to be exposed to a wealth of knowledge that reached worldwide operation experience. Before stepping into the operational roles that he's in now and he has been for over a decade, James carried his quota and experienced firsthand uh, what sales team need from an operational support. So we're excited to have James with us today. And James, without any further ado, I know you prepared some content for us today. We'd love to turn it over to you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Matt, for that. So for my my three metrics that I wanted to uh, share on the podcast is really around um, pipeline coverage, loss prevention and discounting. And as I was thinking about the key areas that I look at as an operational manager in the business that I'm working in right now. Um, the importance of uh, making the number is kind of where I've focused my, uh, my content. So obviously being in operations, we could measure everything under the sun, right? There's thousands of things we could think about. And I tried to carry a theme of progression towards attainment uh, in the metrics that I pulled together, which is why I chose these three in particular. One question I have with regards to uh, one of the terms that you used in the previous slide, if you can go back to that for a second. Uh, for those operators that uh, may have not heard the term discounted before, do you mind kind of set the premise of uh, what discounting is within the context of your presentation today? Sure. So maybe I should have probably put on there discounting behavior. So we're looking at the amount of discount that sales offer in order to win a deal. Um, I'll touch on it in my section, but in some of my companies, we worked through channel partners and there was already a very strict amount that was offered off the bat. And so the extras that sales give in order to win deals, that's what I'll be focusing on, uh, how to maximize that. Excellent. Thank you. Let's go ahead into your first metric. So my first one, um, and I think I, I would probably put this as number one of, of importance is the pipeline coverage. For me, I define the pipeline coverage as the amount of open opportunity that I have as a sales rep or as a sales manager of a team um, versus my target that I'm trying to achieve. And really what this does is it gives me a first glimpse into do I really have a capacity or a chance at the moment of hitting my target of attaining my quota? Um, the reason why I like this metric in particular is it drives action and conversation along the themes of what do I need to do in order to build more pipeline? What do I need to mature my pipeline? Um, what else do I need to do that's going to make those opportunities more sure of winning? And so as an operations manager, the way that I put this together for my sales teams is, you know, I've mocked up this graph here. So the blue line is the pipeline. So this is 
every open opportunity that relates to the reps that I'm measuring. So maybe these are only new business reps, or maybe these are renewal reps, um, whatever team they are, it's the associated pipeline opportunities that they own, regardless of any other factor, just that they're in play. I've put here an arbitrary orange line to indicate the target of the five reps. So I've just given them a, a made up target of $2 million here. And we can see the various blue lines are above that at different degrees. One of them is below. So immediately those managers or those reps can be having the conversation of you've got a two times your target pipeline. So for example, rep number one is 4 million. That's twice as much as his target. So he might be thinking I'm in a good spot because I've got twice as much than I need. Rep three is having a great day because he's got three times as much. But the thing that is lacking in the next days down that we go in this is what we call weighted pipeline. And we call it weighted is because not every opportunity is created equal, right? They're not all the same stage. They haven't all progressed at the same point. Um, they don't all have their economic buyers engaged or some have got channel partners, some don't. They all have different um, characteristics. And so what we need to do to get a more accurate picture of can I hit my number is weight these opportunities on those characteristics. Um, and it doesn't have to be on probability of closure, right? That's slightly different. What we're doing here is we're giving them a, an arbitrary value based on the progression. So more along the lines of the sales stage um, as we're measuring it. And we then do a little bit of math in the background and we end up seeing that the red line, which is now your weighted pipeline value, is decreased. So rep number one, who was thinking, I've got twice as much pipeline as I need, actually now when you look at that, has got uh, a gap because maybe their opportunities weren't as progressed as, as they should be. When you get to that point, it's a good metric to have. Now you have an idea of the maturity of a pipeline. You can go ahead and have those conversations of what do we do next? But the next stage that I take that to is using the, the win rate. So I, at the moment, I support a particular team within Scandit whose win rate is somewhere around the 45, 50% mark. So what I do is I use that win rate against the weighted pipeline value and that gives me a bit more of a, a narrow focused in on where they're going to finish. Um, and then that puts me in a much better conversation point to be able to say, this is where I expect to finish. This is my gap. How do I make it up? Okay, that makes sense. Uh, uh, this is very smart to do. I really like it. Um, I have a couple of questions for you on this one. You were saying earlier that... Yeah. One of the benefits of looking at the pipeline through this type of lens, it empowers uh, the team with uh, having the right type of conversations. Um, I would love to ask for maybe a couple examples of, first of all, are these type of conversations just happening on the operational side or are they happening with leaders and reps and, um, you know, and what are some of those um, key actions that come out of it? Can you provide a, an example or two out of that? Yeah, of course. The way that I operate as a sales operations person is to be as close to the sales leaders as possible. So when we talk about these conversations happening, more often than not, I'm going to be part of the, the audience that's happening. But this is primarily really a conversation to have between manager and rep 
and then maybe the next stage up of the, you know, the VP and the sales director. An example might be if we're talking to uh, rep number three in this example, he first of all started with a massive pipeline, probably thinking he's got it made, doesn't have to do a lot of work this queue because he's going to smash it. When we come to him with this analysis, we can see that he's only just about going to make his number overshooting maybe 10%. We will then sit there with him and go through his most progressed deals. We'll talk about risk factors. We'll talk about um, who's engaged on the customer side or the channel side, or what's their purchase order process look like, almost like a mini deal deep dive into how safe are those deals really? And then if we start to identify risk, then we turn the conversation to that red line and say, right, there must be another one or two opportunities that we could push a little bit further along the progression just to give us a buffer of safety. Um, and if I'm a manager who's got these five reps, I might also be thinking rep number three is my best chance at meeting my number as a team, given the position that rep number four and rep number one are in with their orange lines. I might have to lean on three a little bit more to, to push up my team's achievement from that perspective. So yeah, in that example, it's very much a frontline manager conversation, trying to understand the, the maturity and the hygiene behind what's, what's really in front of us in the data. That's excellent. Thank you for that. We're ready for metric number two, if you want. So my number two, I nicknamed this my when loss instead of my win loss, right? <laughs> we, we know what a win-loss ratio. I'm borrowing that name to be a win-loss. And what I'm looking at here is the opportunities that are exiting my pipeline and getting closed lost. I'm looking at that as a volume of my overall pipeline at that stage. But also then I'm looking at that from the particular stage they exit. Okay. So at the bottom here, I've got my five sales stages. Number one being the earliest, number five being right before we go closed one. And what I'm trying to understand from this metric is how good is my qualify out activity, right? We're so focused on qualifying opportunities in and justifying why they should exist that actually sometimes I think we need to take the opposite view in our qualification and say, if you only meet 60% of my criteria, I'm not going to waste my time on you. I need to put you somewhere else to be nurtured and progress somewhere else. This helps us identify that. We're also looking at our uh, competitiveness, right? Where do we lose most, where we come up against most competition, whether that's in the face of a challenge or an actual competitor or a, a pricing issue or, or product issue. And then what we're trying to do is really identify a trend here. Is there a pattern to me as, as a rep or as a frontline manager do I always lose at the same point in a sales cycle? Or is there always a common reason why I'm losing? There are common competitor, things like this. And so when I look at the graph here, and I'm looking at the sales stages across the bottom, the blue bars are indicating the number of opportunities that have gone closed lost from that stage. And the, the red line is identifying what percentage of my pipeline at that stage those are responsible for. So stage number one, for example, had 125 opportunities. That was about 70-ish percent of my pipeline at that point. Now, why we do this at the stages 
is really to do along the lines of the maturity and the progression that we talked about in the first metric. Um, in an ideal world, the blue bars form this type of pattern. You qualify out early so that you don't waste resource and time on progressing deals that aren't going to go anywhere. You come up against deal breakers very early on and you can move on to the next one. So the blue bars is a good trend that we try and see. Obviously, we'd like the, the numbers to be as low as possible, but that that's sales. The red line would follow, hopefully, a very similar trend or, or be very flat towards the bottom. And so in this example, what I've done is I've crafted this stage number three, showing that although I'm losing less into stage number three, which is good, the amount or the percentage rather of my pipeline that I have lost is significantly high. So as I'm looking at this from my perspective of a, an operations leader or a sales leader, I can immediately say there's something about that stage or those deals in that stage that meant I lost more than I should have done. So now this is where I'm going to focus my discussion with my rep. Um, maybe I'm going to loop in my channel team as well to understand what did the channel contribute or not in, in these deals. And we start to focus into what happened with those. Yeah, I love this one. Uh, you know, it's interesting because um, oftentimes, and I think for a lot of um, CROs or other sales leaders, it's very, very common uh, to just uh, identify what wins. And one of the things that um, a lot of rep, uh, rep and operation leaders have discovered is that uh, there's almost just as much, if not even greater wisdom in understanding why are we losing things? Because usually yeah. that's the larger volume of versus what would you actually win. And by stop doing what you shouldn't be doing, you automatically impacting what you should be doing more of, right? So one of the questions that comes to mind when I look at uh, this graph here, um, when you, and I'm sure you've seen this before, where uh, organization that maybe, let's think about someone that is maybe in an earlier series organization, someone that is still trying to figure out the right process and trying to develop. It's oftentimes that you will find that the win-loss can happen into middle or end of a pipe staging, right? And so instead of being upfront, which to me, this appears to be uh, a very healthy pro sales process mm -hmm. in a way, right? Um, you know, you have, a lot of losses at the end or in the middle, maybe stuck on technology, maybe stuck on procurement processing and all of that. What type of uh, advice do you have for someone that is in that stage of pipeline where losses occur across everything? Uh, what advice do you have for them to transition more over time to something that looks like this? I think the there's a few things that really need to be in place in order to learn the lessons effectively from my perspective. Number one is having a very accurate um, capture of the reasons why you've lost those deals. And that's one of that's maybe one of the hardest things to do because sales reps don't like to admit why they lost. You know, it's almost admitting why they're wrong. And I come across a lot of reps who, who don't want to, to give us lots of detail around that. But if we can remove this, any stigma that, that exists around that, and capture truly why it was that we lost. Not necessarily to say whose fault it was, but what were the factors that contributed to it? Then even if you are looking at stage four or five ops that are, are being lost, you'll have a very quick realization of top three reasons why those deals got lost in the first place. 
and then you can start to put into place resolution to, to mitigate those risks in the future. So if it was pricing, for example, as a, as a new as a new company, that's probably going to be a very common reason that you lose late on is potentially pricing or, or experience in the market. And in, in working backwards, then you'll be able to say, well, we did everything right up until this point, And then this happened. So let's try and attack that problem so we can get it over that hurdle. And then hopefully it will continue on. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you for that. Are we ready for metric number three? So my third one. Um, is around the discounting practice that goes on with sales. I mentioned at the beginning how I was taking this theme of protecting revenue, right? Our pipeline coverage um, focuses on how do we win more and pull more money in. Our loss prevention focuses on how do we stop the leaky bucket. And the discounting practice is really about maximizing the opportunities that are getting progressed. This was a really insightful practice that I did a while ago that I've tried to keep up um, everywhere else that I've moved. So what we're looking at is the average amount of discount that is across the closed one deals by each rep. So that is the red bars. Okay, that's their total one amount. And then the, the red line is the amount of discount they had to offer across those opportunities as an average to get to that number. Okay, so Rep number five, he did 777K and his average discount amount was 84%. What we use this metric for is an indicator of a few things. It's about how competitive are we generally, but also how much of that is pricing sensitive. We're also looking at how much do we really have to give away in order to win? So that's another kind of slant on our competition. Maybe that is we're playing against a big player who's very prolific and we have to keep slashing price. Or maybe it's, we're a small company who we have to try and kind of entice people towards. There's lots of reasons why I would give price away. And then the last thing that we're trying to look is where could we have moved the needle in order to have protected money? What money are we leaving on the table that we didn't have to give away? And so what I did at my last company was we took various amounts of percentage change and we looked at them all and the number that we settled on was 2% that made the most difference. Now, in this example, the, the team's achievement is 3.8 million across all the red lines. Okay, that's what the team finished on. For the sake of the example, I'm gonna say that the team's target was 4 million. Okay, so they finished just shy. And so what I did from a retrospective point of view, maybe the quarter after, is I'll go into this and I'll look at the average amount discount and I'll play with the numbers and I'll say, well, if we'd just given away 2% less, we could have actually had a little bit more than 10% of the revenue come back to us, which meant that as a team, we would have overachieved. And when you put that in front of a, a sales manager, because um, sales reps have always excused why they had to give money away. I start this conversation with the manager and say, this is your performance as a team. This is your behavior as a team. Maybe you've got regional um, nuances here that suggest you have to give more discount away because it's culturally accepted. Um, maybe you've got a particular rep who you know is always going to just give discount away with, as a solution to a problem. So as a manager, he's got a good insight onto maybe some reasons why this is the way that it is. But when you can show him that if you just lowered the discount amount just by one or 2%, 
could have hit your number or even overachieved it. The next cue, he starts to be a little bit more scrutinizing around the requests that come across his table. Do you really need to have 83? Can we not get them down to 82, maybe 81 and a half? Is that really material? Um, and obviously some that plays into how big your average size of your deal is, right? If you're talking tens of millions of dollars, then a couple of percentages are massive amount. Um, equally, if you're talking to small businesses and you're doing 10 to 20K deals, for them, that's probably also maybe potentially a big amount. So you have to look at this discounting behavior as number one, have we done everything else prior to this to resolve any concern? Number two, can we be a little bit harder on them rather than just sacrifice in price just to win the deal? Um, and again, with the first metric, the, the sooner you can have this type of analysis in front of you for the next, um, you can start to really have some action or behavioral adjustment that will recoup some money a little bit further down the line. This is such a great metric. Um, as you were talking, uh, I kept thinking of very specific examples where uh, in companies mm -hmm. I've been at, or even myself in, in selling, I may have um, lost an opportunity to maybe uh, retain more business, um, maybe gave away more business than I should have, right? Um, I was looking into your benefits list here. The last one says identify areas where pricing is a valid reason versus excuse. Mm -hmm. um, as you talk about these managers talking with the reps, um, in what scenarios do you feel that that 2% or 10%, it's really not an excuse, but a valid reason that then changes maybe what the expectations need to be from a pricing perspective? So the company where I was at where I first came across this real analysis was about 95% channel driven. So immediately off the bat, they were obviously offering percentage discounts to the channel partners, right? As, as is the model. And so they were already quite sensitive with additional discounts that were offered. We did a lot of work to get our list prices, et cetera, where they should be, where we thought they should be. But we had a, a very functioning deal desk team that helps uh, creatively work around the discount um, queries that were come across. Because we were based in EMEA, there are some certain countries uh, and cultures where they need to see high levels of discount. It's just part of the sales behavior that happens and, and the buying behavior that happens in those parts of, of the world. And so we had to try and find an, an interesting way around that. <clears throat> but that's a very valid reason why you would need to have an elevated level of discount versus an opportunity where maybe you've got a rep um, who's got a lot of pipeline and maybe he's got three or four deals that are similar amount, all forecast for this month, um, you know, progress to a very similar stage but they've all got varying levels of discount as a manager i'm going to tell him how much faith have you got in those quotes you sent out and he can probably gauge for me well these guys this is well within their budget that's fine these ones these, they're going to probably come back and push me on this and we can decide maybe what our action is maybe we decide well let's hold on that if they decide to leave on the basis of price after we've given all the value justification well, then that's their choice. And we've still got three or four deals that we can rely on instead. Or we can decide, okay, 
This is our bottom line. If they come back to us with a discrepancy or, or a challenge, we'll go to here and no further. And those decisions kind of have to be made before the customer comes back, right? You've got to have that agreement beforehand of, this is our bottom line, we can't go below this, but you don't go there straight away. Um, I think that's what I mean sometimes when I say pricing is an excuse, because sometimes when you give a rep you know, a bottom price line, they'll go in and then the first challenge they get, they drop straight down to that mark in order to win the deal. And then when they don't win it, it's not their fault. It's your fault because you said I couldn't have any more discount. But really what they haven't done is they haven't justified all the value properly in the first place to then handle pricing as a completely separate issue. Wow. Yeah, this is this is beautiful. I, uh, I think all of a sudden, as you were explaining this example, uh, your entire uh, storyline came together for me where in a sense you start at the top by looking do we have coverage and then you start looking at if we have coverage or not what are we losing deals and where do we lose them and you start really unpacking this pipeline and then you go to this granular level of trying to avoid to leave money on the table right by identifying this one i think one thing that stood out to me that was very very uh, smart for people that maybe work internationally or even the work in several regions within a country is understand that geolocation will play a role in discount expectations. Not every culture buys the same. Uh, not every uh, product can sell the same to the same or different people, right? And, and I like the fact that uh, this cadence that you're talking about of uh, talking and working with the reps and the manager to look at these areas provides that early uh, diagnosis and strategy opportunity to um, actually prepare yourself for the different scenarios without waiting. This is where the customer is, they're waiting. We need to come up with a fast answer without thinking it through. So uh, this very proactive approach, I think it's now coming together in my mind. It makes a lot of sense the way you're looking at business that way. So really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, no problem. And just on that point, I think early on in my career in sales operations, I was very focused on process enhancement and analysis, right? So getting things to be a little bit more effective, but all the analysis I was doing was very retrospective and this is how things are. And it's very high level, very simplistic. And through the, the managers and leaders I worked with quickly understood that if you set up your sales force or your CRM effectively, you don't need that type of sales operations person. You can just pull up the screen and see what the numbers say and that's fine. Where the real sales ops and rev ops value is, is in this proactivity, is in seeing what's happening in the future and being able to try and, try and project or predict what, what's gonna happen. And where you see things being a little bit skewed is identifying that quickly and saying, we need to meet now in order to do something because otherwise in four or five months time, we're gonna be in a hole. Because um, the, the sales teams are so focused on today, tomorrow, next week, my quarter, just getting things going. We're the ones who have to kind of stick our head up and look out to the future. Uh, and that's really where I think the, the value sits in our function. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, first of all, um, really grateful for the insight that you provide. I think there's there's a lot of uh, uh, golden nuggets here that I'm taking away from, from today's conversation. And I can really see the visual of you know, looking ahead, almost like in this GPS, you're driving. The GPS is the one that has to look ahead. You're looking 
you know, the quarter mile, half a mile in front of you, but this is the one that looks down a few thousand miles ahead of you for the whole journey. And uh, so that's very much a great analogy to say revenue operators are uh, those long-term view uh, leaders to, to make sure that we're all driving in the right direction. Well, to wrap it up, we just want to, again, say thank you to James for preparing this content for today, for sharing this information. Uh, for those of you that want to connect with him, I'm sure you can do so through LinkedIn or other ways that are available uh, through uh, the post that we'll make uh, for James and, and reach out to him for free to ask for his advice and connect with him. But uh, James, again, uh, thanks for today and uh, we wish you a good uh, evening. No, thank, thanks so much for, for letting me be a part of this. I think building this community of, of RevLops leaders is, is super foresight to boost up. I think it's really, really cool. I'm glad to be a part of it. Our pleasure. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day.